Warning, the content you are about to hear on this podcast contains some explicit language in the context of song lyrics. Discretion is advised. I think that I'm just a rock chick. I would describe my music and my sound as Avril The best damn thing. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Best Damn Avril Lavigne podcast, a facts and trivia-based podcast about Canadian pop singer Avril Lavigne. I'm your host, Andrea DeFrancesco. In this edition of the Best Damn Avril Lavigne podcast, we'll be diving into part two of our Love Sucks celebration, where I'll be sharing my thoughts on the album and my overall reaction. In last week's episode, we learned all about Avril's process of making the album, plus some facts and trivia about each song. So if you missed it and would like to give it a listen, be sure to check out the previous episode. And without further ado, let's get into our discussion about Love Sucks. So at the time that I'm recording this, the album has been out for a few weeks now, and I've had a lot of chances to listen to it and really form my thoughts and opinions about the album and each track. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about each track individually and then give my overall thoughts about the album after that and then some other things that I want to talk about as well. So starting with each track, starting with Cannonball, I know this is a fan favorite and it's definitely like the most explosive way to start off the album. Like it really starts off with a bang, which I think was kind of the intention because it's called Cannonball. It's definitely a very different type of song that she's ever done because the way that the verses sound is completely different than the chorus. I don't know how I feel about the verses. It's very musically interesting and I like that they kind of experimented, but the verses are very fast paced and kind of dancey. And I'm not sure that I really like the verses that much, but I really, really like the chorus. And also it doesn't have a bridge either. So it feels kind of short. And so to me, this isn't really a top tier favorite of mine. Like I don't really have anything against it, but I think I would rank this one a bit lower in like if I was going to rank all the songs, this would be more towards the bottom for me. But I know that this is a fan favorite for a lot of other people. And I think this would make a really good opener on the tour or possibly like if they were going to do a video intro before she comes on stage, something like that. I think this would work really well for that. Then the next track is Boys Live featuring Machine Gun Kelly. I'm honestly not a mega fan of MGK like musically, but also even just personally, he's kind of a bit of a controversial figure. But I guess looking at it from a musical perspective, it's one of my favorite songs actually on the record. And I really think that it's very possible that they actually recorded this one together in the studio. I think with some of her other collaborations, either on this album or the past albums that they were recorded separately. And those felt more like collaborations but not necessarily duets and I feel like with Boys Lie it feels like a very proper duet because they're trading off lines and especially that bridge is really really brilliant I think it's one of the best bridges that she's ever done because it sounds like an argument it sounds like they're arguing back and forth and it really sounds to me like they might have recorded it in the studio together we do know that she posted some pictures of the two of them in the studio together so I think it's very possible that that was from that session you can just tell it makes all the difference when two people are actually recording at the same time that chemistry is really there that I don't feel like is present on maybe some of the other collaborations that she's done. And that chorus is just one of the catchiest ones she's ever done. I find myself singing it to myself a lot, like especially the la la liar part, like just gets stuck in your head really easily. On March 13th, actually, they were seen by paparazzi or something on set, like on the set of what looked like a grocery store or something like that, appearing to be filming something. So people are thinking that they're in the process of filming the music video right now. I think my only real criticism of the song is that it does feel kind of immature and juvenile, that these people who are well into their like 30s at this point are singing about like boys lie, girls cry, whatever. I was really surprised that it was a least favorite for a lot of people. A lot of people didn't seem to like this one or it seemed like a grower for a lot of people. But for me, it was like an instant standout. It's one of my favorites. Then that brings us into Bite Me, which we're all familiar with at this point. I will say I've kind of grown a little tired of it just because 
now we have like the newer songs. Like it's just kind of one that I'm not as inclined to listen to as often anymore because we've had it for so long. But when you listen to it along with the rest of the record, it's definitely a standout. Like it, it was definitely the right choice for the lead single. And I still think it's one of the strongest songs on the record. But for me, it's just not one I'm playing a lot. Like I'm not going out of my way to play it just because we've had it for a while now. And there's just like the newer songs I would rather play. My only real criticism about the song actually is that I really wish that in the beginning, like the very beginning when she does the hook, and her voice is like very strong at the beginning. I really wish that they had re-recorded that part because her voice sounds kind of piercing at the beginning with like the AU. I kind of wish that they had done something about that, but that's my only criticism of the song. Otherwise, Bite Me is one of the standout tracks on the album. Then that brings us into Love It When You Hate Me, which is another song that we've had for quite a while. This is another one. I don't mind the song. I love the chorus especially. It's very catchy, but we've just had it for so long that it's again, not a song I go out of my way to play at this point. I know a lot of people, for a lot of people, this is kind of one of their lesser favorites. I would say out of the collaborations, I think it's my least favorite. And every time that she and Black Bear have like performed it together, the performances have been okay, but they don't seem to have a lot of onstage chemistry together when they perform it. So the song is just kind of okay for me. I really like it. It's just, it's kind of like middle tier for me. Then that brings us into the title track. This, I think I would say... I don't dislike it, but it's probably more at the bottom for me just because it's a little too sing-songy and maybe a little too kind of juvenile sounding. But at the same time, it's also really, really catchy. And a lot of times I find myself singing the like, na na na, not another breakup. Like I find myself singing the hook a lot to myself, like when I'm just working or something like that, it'll just kind of come up in my head and I'll be like singing it while I'm working or something. So it's really catchy. It gets stuck in your head really easily. It's a really good song to sing along with. I feel like there's a very strong chance that she'll perform this one in concert. There's that part after the bridge where she starts singing the chorus again, but it's like just the drum beat behind her while she's singing. I could very much imagine the crowd having a really good time singing along with that. And I think that's probably what she'll do. I'm going to get more into this when I talk about my favorite lyrics, but I also really like the bridge of this song. I think that the lyrics are really clever. The next track is Kiss Me Like the World is Ending, and I was really surprised to see that a lot of people didn't like this one or it was a grower for them because it was an instant favorite for me. I feel like that always happens where I think I just have opposite taste to most people where the ones that are their favorites are my least favorites and vice versa. So for me, it's actually a favorite of mine. I would say it's actually my top three favorites. That's how much I love it. And I like that it's more of a lovey-dovey song as opposed to a lot of the breakup songs on here. I think the way that she described it initially where it's like inspired by hanging out in Malibu with Matson, I feel like that was the perfect description for it because that's exactly what it sounds like. It sounds like you're just kind of driving down the freeway in California type of thing. I especially love the bridge. I love those high notes that she hits and it just sounds like so carefree and fun and like you can kind of like take on the world when you hear it. The next one's Avalanche, which is a fan favorite. I think it's safe to say this is the fan favorite off the album, even though there's a lot of different favorites. This is the fan favorite. I feel like this is kind of like the nobody's home of this album with how many people like just unanimously love this song. I really like it. I don't think I would put it in my top three just because there's other songs that I like more, but this is definitely very, very close to being at the top for me. When I first heard this song, the production style or the instruments really reminded me of a blend of Under My Skin and Head Above Water because it had that kind of like orchestra thing going on, but it also has this really dark rock thing going on like Under My Skin had. And so I could have easily seen this being included on the track list for Head Above Water. And I can really appreciate that it's actually the only song on the album, I think, that isn't about love or relationships at all, which is really strange that they included it. 
it's actually more about mental health. And I think that's why a lot of people have connected with this song and why it's a favorite, because it doesn't actually have anything to do with the album's main theme, strangely enough. I'm going to get more into this when I talk about my favorite lyrics from it, but I think lyrically it's one of the strongest on the album and one of the most relatable songs. And this is another one that, again, I find myself singing like the hook part of it, like I'm running from an avalanche. I find myself singing that to myself all the time. The next one is Deja Vu. And this was another one that I saw being standout fan favorite. I would have to say I don't dislike the song, but I think if I just had to choose a least favorite, I think this would be it. I just kind of don't like the structure of this song, especially like in the chorus where it kind of has this like under my skin feel, which is I think why a lot of people do like it because under my skin is like the fan favorite album. But for me, under my skin has never been one of my favorite records just because I'm not really into like dark rock music that much. And that's what it reminds me of, I guess. And maybe that's why this one doesn't resonate with me as much. I don't think the song is bad or anything. And I think that some of the lyrics are interesting. And again, even with this not being a favorite of mine, again, I'm like, I find myself singing the deja vu part, like the chorus. I find myself singing that to myself a lot. But like I said, if I had to pick a least favorite, this would probably be it. I put the album on shuffle while I was like folding laundry and the song came up and it's like, it's like if I was going to listen to the album or like pick out tracks to listen to, I'd probably skip this one. But if I'm putting the album on shuffle and it comes up, I don't like mind that it's there, but it's just not a track that I kind of like go out of my way to listen to, I guess. The next one is FU, which is I think my top favorite on the album. Which is funny because I think for a lot of people, this is one of their least favorites. So again, just that opposite thing in taste where for some reason, the ones that I like are the ones that people don't seem to like as much and vice versa. So a lot of people really like Deja Vu. I don't care for it, but I love F.U. and a lot of people don't care for this one. It's interesting because this is the only song that doesn't have John Feldman or Matson involved in it. It's actually just it was written with Travis Barker and another guy named Nick Long. And then it was produced by Just Travis. So I think it's really interesting that this one does seem to have a little bit of a more kind of traditional pop punk Blink-182 kind of sound to it. I just really love this track. It's so high energy. I'm really surprised that a lot of people don't like it because I don't get it. Because like to me, this is like a very quintessential pop punk song. I will say that lyrically, I don't think it's one of the stronger tracks. Like I think that some of the other songs just have stronger lyrics. I think that the bridge... There's not a lot going on with the bridge on this one either. So I will say that it does have its weaknesses, but I think it makes up for it with the energy and the attitude. For me, it's just one of those songs you listen to it and you like can't not just headbang to it. So I really hope that she'll play this one live just because I think it's just made to be played live. The next one is All I Wanted, which is the feature with Mark Hoppus from Blink-182. This one definitely has a very Blink-182 reminiscent sound to it. Funnily enough, my fiance used to like Blink-182 and he heard this song and he actually liked it enough to add it to his library and he's not an Avril fan. So I think that really says something that it does have an appeal to people who aren't necessarily Avril fans. Maybe people who are Blink-182 fans or just pop punk fans in general would probably like this song. What's interesting is that I think a lot of people had very high expectations for this song and they were kind of disappointed by it. Like I I will say when I first heard it, I was a little underwhelmed. I thought it was a little different than what I was expecting it to sound like. But then once I had heard it a few times, it really, really grew on me. I think this one was a grower for a lot of people just because I think it was different than what people were expecting. But once they kind of got used to what it was, they were like, oh, you know what? This is actually really good. And I really think that their voices blend really well together. And I think the chorus, again, one of the catchiest choruses that she's come up with. When I first heard this song, what it really reminded me of is it sounded like 
it would be the type of song that would play over the ending credits of like a mid-2000s teenage rom-com kind of movie or something. I think maybe that's why it took people some time to let it grow on them because it sounds a little kind of like throwback, kind of has like a vintage sort of pop punk vibe to it. And maybe some people thought it sounded like outdated. But I think when you kind of just let the song be what it is, you can appreciate it. And I'll get more into this when I talk about my favorite lyrics, but I really like the bridge a lot, particularly of this song. So then that leads into Dare to Love Me, which is the only ballad on the album. Avril is very known for her ballads. I don't think I would say this is the best ballad that she's ever done. Like there's definitely some others that she's done that are stronger, more iconic, better than this one, like I'm With You, Keep Holding On. But I think for it being the ballad on this record, I think it serves its purpose. Some people thought maybe it shouldn't have been included just because it slows the album down. And I know Avril herself actually wasn't even going to include it. And then Modson and John Feldman said, no, you need you need a moment like this. I'm really glad actually that they did convince her to put it on this album because I think if you just had, you know, one fast pop punk song after another 12 times in a row, it would start to get kind of tired and they would all kind of blend together. And so I really think it was good that they did put this ballad on here just to kind of give everything a moment to slow down. I think that it was really important to include this song on the album because it's a vulnerable moment. You can be mad when breakups happen. But then after that, there comes like the grieving stage where you're like, actually, I'm, you know, now I'm like, I'm over this guy. But now it's like, what do I do now? Do I put myself out there again? Am I willing to go there again and fall in love again? And I think that that's like a really relatable thing for a lot of people because you can have the breakup and be mad at the guy, but then eventually you're going to get over it. And then you've got to decide where do you want to go from there. And that's exactly what this song talks about. It's talking about getting back out there again, but being really scared to do so. And that's a very real, raw, vulnerable emotion for her to talk about. And I think it absolutely has its place on the record. It's not the strongest ballad she's ever come up with, but I think it definitely deserves its place on the album. And I really love how vulnerable the lyrics are. I'm going to get into this more when I talk about the lyrics, but a lot of times when she does these emotional songs, she'll talk about the lyrics being like deep and raw and vulnerable. And sometimes I think that she's kind of barely scratched the surface of the real emotion. She keeps everything so vague. And here I think that even though the lyrics are quite simple, they actually do sound very vulnerable. And what what I really like about the way that she wrote this lyrically, and especially it's impressive because she wrote this one on her own. What I really love about how she wrote these lyrics is that they just sound like something you'd straight say to a friend while you're having a conversation. Like if you were having a conversation with someone about how you're feeling about a certain situation, this is like exactly what you would say. And I love that. I love how like confessional the lyrics sound. I think my only criticism of the song is that the bridge could have kind of built up to something more. Like I think when I first listened to it, I was expecting there to be like this big crescendo kind of explosive moment or something, sort of like an I'm with you type bridge. I was expecting like this big moment to happen that never really came. And I think other people kind of said the same thing. Once I listened to the song a few more times and I just kind of grew to accept that that wasn't going to happen. I I can appreciate the song for what it is. And I can appreciate that, you know what, it's just meant to be a like a raw stripped down kind of ballad. It doesn't have to be this big moment or anything. It just can be what it is. And I definitely think this is one of the more underrated tracks on the album, which then brings us already to the end of the album, which is Break of a Heartache. And this is the other song that she wrote by herself. And this is actually also the shortest song on the album. It's less than two minutes long. It's one of the shortest songs she's ever done besides Black Star. It's weird because I think when I first heard this, I thought it was okay. And then it grew on me after a few more listens. And I think that was the case with a lot of people where it just 
it's such an odd structured song that it just kind of took a few listens to get used to it. I really like the structure of the song. And what's interesting is that Avril said when she first wrote it, it actually sounded more like a country song. And I would be really interested in hearing what the original sounded like. I would be interested in hearing it be reworked as a country song. But I really like how it's been produced here as well. I just think like the structure is so interesting and it really is like how she said I wanted to end this album like with a party and I love how it just like amped up it makes you feel when you listen to it where it's to me it sort of reminds me of that meme where it's like not today Satan like it kind of reminds me of that where it's just like oh no you're not going to do this to me again and I love that there's like gambling references. My only real criticism, I guess, of the song is that I think it could have benefited from another verse. It's very weird to me how it sounds like, you know, the opening is the first verse, then it goes into the chorus, but then it seems like it goes right into a bridge. And to me, it just seems like there was something missed there. I don't know if she just like couldn't think of a second verse or whatever. She wanted to keep it short. I don't know. So to me, it does seem like it feels a little short. It feels like it kind of cuts off too soon. It could have benefited from another verse maybe. But overall, this is like one of my favorite songs. I wouldn't put it in my top favorites just because it does feel kind of short and cut off a little bit. But I just really love that amped up feeling that it gives you. And I like the metaphor of I'm not going to take another break of a heartache, you know, another rip, another bruise, another strain, another break of a heartache like comparing it to like just being ripped apart basically this is also the first time that she's ever closed an album with a song that's not a ballad and i think it was the right choice because some people think maybe she should have closed with dare to love me to kind of show like the place that she's at now but i think closing with break of a heartache i think ends on like this empowering note and kind of just saying like i'm never gonna let this happen to me again and i think that that was really important to end the album that way So that's all 12 of the songs. To recap, if I had to say what my top three are and my bottom three are, I think currently would be F.U. followed by either Kiss Me Like the World is Ending or Boys Lie, and those would be the three. And then my bottom three, if I had to pick, I think I would say from like the best one to the worst one, I would maybe say either Cannonball or Love Sucks and then Deja Vu. But honestly, when I was trying to think about what are my least favorite songs, I had a really hard time picking what I would even pick as my least favorite. And I think that really shows the quality of the album, that if you have a hard time picking a least favorite, that means they're pretty much all really good songs, like all really strong. And I saw like a lot of people say that, that they had a hard time picking a least favorite, which I think really speaks to the quality of the album. I feel like even the ones that I don't like as much as the others, like I like I said, I don't think any song is bad. I don't think there's any song that I outright hate. I'm like, I'm never going to listen to this song again. Even the songs that I don't like as much as the others, I still think every song has its place on the album. Like every every song is like deserved to be on there. In the past, sometimes her albums have had like filler tracks and stuff, but I don't think there's any filler on here. Some people might disagree with that. I think some people think maybe like All I Wanted or Dare to Love Me or Break of a Heartache sound like filler tracks, but I disagree. I think that even the songs I don't like as much, I think every song has its place on the album and it's a really solid album. I think it's one of the best ones she's put out in a long time because it's been a while since she's put out like a very consistent album probably since the best damn thing really her last few albums there's always been like this hodgepodge of producers involved and it's kind of ended up sounding like a very disjointed record like sonically especially that happened with like the self-titled album and head above water a little bit where there were like so many different types of songs on it and so many different producers on it and all these different sounds on it that it just sounded like all over the place and I can appreciate that this album is a lot more consistent. Like it's pretty much the same small group of collaborators that worked on it. 
The production is solid and consistent all the way through. And there's like a consistent theme that kind of wraps up the whole album. It doesn't feel like this disjointed mess. It all feels like this is a complete album, like not just a collection of songs, but this is an album. I think this is one of her best albums for sure. I think I like it more than the last few. Where I would rank it amongst her other albums, I think, I mean, for me, Let Go is always going to be my favorite, and I don't think anything's ever really going to top that. And then my second favorite is The Best Damn Thing, which again, even though this album is a little bit similar to that in that it's like a pop punk album, I think The Best Damn Thing was just so well done. And I like that The Best Damn Thing had a little bit more variety on it, but it still sounded like the album all kind of like made sense together. So I think I'd have to put Love Sucks third, maybe just because The Best Damn Thing offered a little bit more variety. I think with Love Sucks, it could have benefited from maybe having a couple more ballads on it or maybe talking about some other topics besides just breakups and how love sucks, which again is I think why people appreciate the song Avalanche because it actually talks about something else. But yeah, like overall, I think it's a really solid effort. And honestly, I was a little bit concerned when I heard she was doing a pop punk album. I wasn't sure what to expect. I wasn't sure if it was going to come off like just uh, the best damn thing 2.0. I think that they did a really good job of blending the old with the new, which is what a lot of people have said, like a lot of music critics have said that, where it sounds like they did a really good job of blending like the sound that she's known for, but modernizing it. And I think that was always a big problem for her is that she's always liked doing pop rock and pop punk music. And for a while, a long time, she was told by labels, like nobody wants to hear this kind of music anymore. And she always kind of had to fight and try to get guitars and drums into her music. And sometimes it turned out a little too poppy, like it turned out more pop than rock. And I think this time around, they did a really good job of modernizing her sound and actually making it sound like a true pop punk record. So really solid effort by all. John Feldman is probably pretty much the best thing to ever happen to her, as well as Mod Son, of course. And also the fact that she reunited with Travis Barker again. And I think the two of them work really well together as well. And like all the collaborators on this album, like Machine Gun Kelly, Black Bear, Mark Hoppus, everybody did a really great job. And it just really shows in Avril the way that she performs and talks about the music. Like you can just tell she's really in, like in a really good place and that she's really happy with the work that she's put out and that she's really proud of everything. And it's really great to see her like that. I have been listening to it pretty solidly over the last few weeks and I'm not bored of it yet. It got like really good critic reviews. She hasn't had an album perform that well in quite some time. I'm just really excited to see everything that's to come with it and just to see it keep doing really well and to see where she goes next with it. Okay, so now I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction. Like I said, when I was talking through each song, I was going to talk more specifically about my favorite lyrics, because I do think she tried to step it up a little bit with the lyrics on this album and be a little bit more creative. And I just wanted to point out some of the ones that stood out to me or ones that were my favorites. So I have quite a few favorite lyrics from Boys Lie, Make Me Believe in Magic, Then Disappear. This is one of my favorites because I just like the metaphor of kind of like how she's comparing the guy to a magician where it's like you make me believe in the magic of your love but then you just disappear you put a knife into my back and try to write your name i just like that metaphor again of like you're stabbing me in the back and then you're writing your name on it to make sure that i know it was you revenge is my sweet tooth i like this lyric because a sweet tooth some people who don't speak english as a first language might not know what a sweet tooth is a sweet tooth is basically a way of saying that you really like candy and i think in this case she's saying that revenge is like her addiction like this is the thing that she just loves and she can't help it or like this is the thing that really gives her pleasure kind of tell me why you tell your friends i'm the bad guy when you're the villain 
I liked this one because it's just kind of a clever play on words. Like you tell everyone that I'm the bad guy, but you're the you're actually the one who's the bad guy. I worshipped your religion. I was faithful. You were the one who sinned. I just, again, like the references to like kind of using the metaphor of a religion for being like, I was there for you. I did everything you asked. I was faithful to you, but you were the one who betrayed me. And then, like I said before, just the whole bridge of boys lie where they're like arguing back and forth was just absolutely brilliant. Some of my other favorite lyrics are from Bite Me. You should have known better to fuck with someone like me forever and ever. You're going to wish I was your wifey. I just like how it rhymes. And wifey is kind of a modern term that people use for wife. So I just thought it was kind of funny and clever that she threw that in there. You bit off more than you can chew. Can you taste it? So I like how they tried to include some metaphors because the song is called Bite Me. And she used these metaphors that reference like eating and tasting and stuff. Again, for people who don't speak English as a first language, they might not know the phrase you bit off more than you can chew is actually a phrase that means kind of like you took on more than you were prepared to. So it doesn't just mean literally you bit off more than you can chew. It means that the guy kind of overstepped his boundaries and like kind of went further than he probably was prepared to. And then following that, I bet you taste me on the tip of your tongue. So again, another kind of like phrase that's used a lot in the English language is when you're trying to think of a word and you're like, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Like it it doesn't mean literally it's on the tip of your tongue. It just means it's right there. You can think of it. It's like you can think of it, but you can't think of it. And when she says, I bet you taste me on the tip of your tongue, it's kind of like referencing how it's like, oh, she's she's right there. Like like he's still thinking about her, but she's like kind of just out of reach. Another lyric that I really liked was from Love It When You Hate Me, You're So Hot When You Get Cold. I liked this one because, again, for people who don't speak English natively might not realize that it's sort of like a play on words and like a double meaning. She doesn't necessarily mean it literally, but she means you're so attractive when you ignore me. Another lyric that I liked was from Love Sucks from The Bridge. Let's play a game of tic-tac-toe. I'm gonna go and make all my exes say oh. I was really surprised when I heard some people criticize this line. Like it was almost like they didn't get it at first. And they were like, oh, why is she talking about that? Like that's so immature. And I was like, really? Because it's actually really clever, I thought. So tic-tac-toe is a game that you play where one person has the letter X and the other person has the letter O. And so the idea is that, you know, you would place your symbols in these boxes until one of you like is able to get all your symbols in a row kind of thing before the other person. That's like the basic gist of it. And what she's saying here again is a play on words where she's saying, I'm going to make all my exes say, oh, exes meaning her ex-boyfriends say, oh, like, oh, I should have treated her better. So I thought that was really clever. Another lyric that I liked is from Kiss Me Like the World is Ending, where she says, yeah, it's just like me to be kind to all or nothing, because it just means that she's being self-aware. Like she did say she kind of pokes fun at herself on this album. And I do think it's kind of funny that she's acknowledging the fact that she kind of does tend to jump into a lot of relationships and she kind of just goes like full force with them. And I just kind of liked the self-awareness on that one. Some of my other favorite lyrics were from Avalanche. What do you do when the hero needs saving? I liked this one because it shows that we're all vulnerable from time to time and we can't all always be strong and brave all the time. And that even people who are brave and who are strong have their moments where they need help. So it's like, what do you do when the hero is the one who needs saving? Like, what do you do when the hero is the one who needs help? I also liked the lyric, I can't shake it, shake it, shake it. Because at first I thought that was like really 
too repetitive. But then I kind of thought about it more and I was like, it sounds like when you try to shake something off of you and if you had something stuck on your sweater and you're like trying to repeatedly shake it off kind of thing. And I thought this was a really clever kind of metaphor. I don't know if she did this on purpose or she just wanted to write the song like this. I think that writing it in that way, there's this term that I learned in a music class once and I forgot what it is, but maybe somebody else out there knows, but it's sort of like something called music imagery or something like that. It's basically like writing lyrics of a song and making it sound like what the lyrics are saying. So in this case, that's kind of what that is. I don't know if, again, if this is something that they did on purpose or not. But when she says, I can't shake it, shake it, shake it, it's like she's really trying to shake off these like dark thoughts that she's having, but she can't. And so that's why I really liked that lyric. I also really like the lyric in the pre-chorus. I've been slipping and sliding. My world's getting colder. I'm tired of looking over my shoulder. It, again, relates to that metaphor of an avalanche. Slipping and sliding, like if you think about an actual avalanche happening, you would be running away and you'd probably be slipping and sliding on like mud and rocks and stuff as everything is coming down. And I'm tired of looking over my shoulder. Again, this is like another thing. If you don't speak English as a first language, you might not actually know what she's saying here. She, I think, means it both literally and figuratively. Because again, if you were running from an actual avalanche, you would probably be looking over your shoulder constantly as you're running to see like how far is it behind you. But to be looking over your shoulder is also like a phrase that means it doesn't have to mean literally looking over your shoulder. It can just mean that you're afraid of something coming after you and you're always kind of on the watch or like on the lookout for it. And that can give you like extreme anxiety and like paranoia. And so I really liked that she kind of used that double meaning there. And then, of course, this is a line that I think a lot of people have pointed out. I wish my wife would have came with instructions. The only thing that bothers me about that is that it's not technically grammatically correct. I think it actually is supposed to be, I wish my wife would have come with instructions, but it's okay. We'll forgive her for that. I wish my wife would have came with instructions. I think this is very, very relatable for a lot of people because to be honest, I don't think anyone really knows what they're doing. And we're kind of all just playing it by ear and making it up as we go along. And sometimes it can feel like that. It can feel very overwhelming when things happen that you're not prepared for and you don't know what to do. And you're like, man, I just wish like I had a, like an instruction book or like a manual to tell me what to do right now. So that was a very, very relatable and very clever line. I also like in the bridge when she says suffocating and she says it like suffocating because it's, again, that music imagery that sounds like someone actually suffocating. I also liked a few lyrics from Deja Vu. You're an asshole living in a castle. Just liked that because it rhymes and it's kind of funny. But you can't buy me with something shiny. I liked that because it rhymed and it's kind of like just really true. Like you can't buy my affection by buying me material items. You're not romantic. You for sure are hopeless. This is a play on the famous phrase like hopeless romantic. So I kind of liked that she like flipped that on its head right time, wrong situation, was all my love wasted. I like this one because I think this is another one where she's kind of referencing herself, where she has been in a lot of relationships that seemed like they were with really good people, but for some reason it just didn't work out. And it's kind of like looking back at it and it's like, man, did I like waste all my best years on these people? The next lyric that I like is from FU, you should read my fucking lips because you don't seem to hear me. A lot of people didn't really like this lyric because they thought it was too obvious or like she was kind of just saying the same thing that she just said. But if you really read it and analyze it, she's actually saying like, I guess if you're not going to listen to me, you should at least like read my lips then because you're not you're not hearing what I'm saying. So I guess you need to read my lips. 
I also liked this lyric from All I Wanted, Memories of Cigarettes and Polaroids, because it almost made me think that she might have been talking about Chad Kroger, because when they worked together on her album, self-titled album in 2013, Avril, like her thing then was taking a lot of Polaroid photos. And so it just made me think of that. So I was kind of like, I don't know, I was just like kind of surprised at how specific of a lyric that was. And again, obviously that could just be a coincidence, but it was just like the thing that I thought of when I heard that lyric and I just wanted to mention it here. Then, like I said, when I was talking about all I wanted and how I said I liked the bridge a lot, I really like the lyrics floating to the nothingness because after all the truth is the only things we leave behind are noise and absolution. I act like everything is fine, but I'm plotting revolution. So I just love that so, so much. I would be really surprised if she wrote that because that sounds more like something Mark Hoppus would probably have written. Sounds very Blink-182, sounds like a very pop punk type of lyric. But what I specifically love about that, this is going to sound really kind of nerdy of me, but maybe there's other people out here who can relate to this. I really like to watch period dramas and historic things. And like, for example, I watched a couple things on HBO Max recently, like this movie called A Royal Affair, which was set in 18th century Denmark and involved like the royal family there and another series about Catherine the Great and her reign and stuff. So I really like that type of stuff. And it just, maybe it's just because I was watching those kinds of things, but it just made me instantly think when I heard the line, I'm plotting revolution, it just made me instantly think of like 18th century Europe and like how they were revolutionizing then and stuff. And it just, I don't know, just really liked it a lot. Moving on to Dare to Love Me, like I said, when I talked about this song, there were a lot of lyrics that I really liked. It's not that I don't care. It's just, I'm fucking scared. It's terrifying. Again, I love how raw and vulnerable and conversational that sounds because I feel like that's exactly the type of thing that you would say if you were having a conversation with your best friend, like you had just gone through a breakup and they were asking you like, well, you know, do you want to date again? And you'd be like, it's not that I don't care. It's just I'm fucking scared. It's terrifying. Like, I feel like that's exactly how you would say it in a conversation. And I love how just simple but real and vulnerable that is because I know it's a slippery slope, but I don't want to give up hope. So again, if you don't speak English natively, the phrase a slippery slope means, it doesn't mean it literally, it means that a slippery slope is kind of like once you start to do one thing, it's going to spiral into another thing and another thing and another thing. And it's like just not something that you want to do. And I think what she's saying here is she knows that kind of like it's very tempting to just close herself off from the idea of ever being in love again. But at the same time, she doesn't want to give up the hope of finding love again because she loves love and she wants to find it. And it's very tempting to just be like, I'm done and close herself off. But it's not a road that she wants to go down because then she'll never find the love that she's looking for if she does that. Why is it got to be this hard just to open up my heart? Again, it seems like such a simple line, but that's what I love about it is that, again, it feels like a thing that you would say to yourself, like, why has it got to be this hard just to open up my heart to someone? I am wishing on them stars, but are they too far? Yeah, are they still shining? I like this one because it just, it's very sad to me, even though again, it's such a simple lyric. She's like saying, I'm wishing on a star. Like when you wish on a star, you wish on stars for things to come true. I'm wishing on those stars, but they're too far. Like it's almost like they're just out of reach. And that's what's kind of devastating about it is that you have this eternal hope for something, but it's just out of your reach. Are they still shining? It's like, you don't even know anymore. Like you're wishing on this thing and you don't even know if it's still out there or not. And that's kind of what makes it so like devastatingly sad. And then I also really liked the bridge of this song because it sounds like wedding vows, which I think was the point. But as someone who is currently engaged and going to get married eventually, like I just really resonated with those lyrics. And 
made me absolutely think of my fiance. And I think anyone who is in a relationship, anyone who is married, especially would absolutely 100% relate to those lyrics because not everything is always great in relationships. It's not always sunshine and rainbows and like a romance novel. Real relationships take work and it's not always going to be pretty. Sometimes you are going to fight with each other or have like negative things happen. And it's like, do you still want to be with this person in spite of those things? That's how you know that you really love a person and that you're really in love, that you're really committed to a person when those kinds of things can happen and you still want to be with that person. And then to wrap up the lyric portion here, talking about my favorite lyrics from Break of a Heartache. You did it to me once. You'll do it to me twice. I'm not in the mood to go another dice. Dealt a shitty hand. You'll never understand. Like I said, I like how there was these like gambling references because it's like she's gambling on love. And I also thought it was meant to be a callback to the lyric in Love Sucks, thought you were my best bet because it's like she was betting on love and she was gambling on love and taking a chance. And then it came back to like bite her basically. So I just really thought the metaphor was clever. I don't want to take another rip, another strain, another bruise, another break of a heartache. I already talked about this one, how I thought that was kind of clever to compare it to being ripped apart basically and being destroyed by having your heart broken. I'd rather leave before you leave my life a wreck. I liked this one because even though it's a really simple lyric, but it's kind of like, you know what? I'm going to leave you before you leave me, basically. I'm just going to like save myself the trouble and leave now before you decide to leave and you leave my life in shambles, basically. Don't ruin my life. Again, simple lyric, but I really liked just the straightforwardness and the directness of this one. Like, oh no, that's not happening today. And it also really shows like how much a breakup can really quite literally ruin your life because it's like that impactful. It's that devastating that it actually like ruins your life. And then ending the album with the word goodbye. A lot of people really liked that she did this because it's kind of like, you know, just ending the album by saying goodbye and like saying goodbye to the heartbreaks and saying goodbye to like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hurt me again. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is my favorite collaborations, which I kind of already addressed this a little bit earlier, but just to kind of talk about it more properly here, there's three collaborations on the album, Boys Lie with Machine Gun Kelly, Love It When You Hate Me with Black Bear and All I Wanted with Mark Hoppus. So I think as I already kind of said, I think Boys Lie would be my top favorite collaboration just because it really sounds like the two of them were in the studio together when it was recorded and just that chemistry between them. Then I would say the Mark Hoppus collaboration would be my second favorite just because I really love the song. I love how they sound together. Plus, that has to be a really cool moment for Avril where Blink-182 was one of her favorite bands growing up. And now to have a song with Mark Hoppus must be a really cool full circle moment for her, which means that Love It When You Hate Me has to be my least favorite just by default. I don't mind it. I think that Black Bear's verse is good, but I don't think they necessarily have a lot of chemistry together. So just by default, that one's my least favorite. Another thing that I want to talk about is the length of the album because it's about, I think, 34 minutes around that. And that's her shortest album to date. And a lot of people, when they saw that that was the length, they thought it was way too short and that there should have been more than 12 songs on it. And the album should have been more like the standard 45 to 50 minutes. I have to say, I don't, the album does not feel short to me. Then again, I don't really like super long albums, but to me, it feels like the perfect length. Yeah, we could have had a few more songs, maybe especially because like Break of a Heartache is kind of short. Like a lot of the songs are quite short, but I think that if it was just overly long, it would feel like dragged out. And pop punk albums typically are shorter and albums in general today are a lot shorter to accommodate streaming and because people have shorter attention spans and stuff like that. So I think that there was a reason for it. But to me, it feels like the perfect length. A lot of people talk about playing the album like on their commute to work and stuff, and it's like the perfect length. I will say that I think some of the songs maybe end too abruptly, like 
some of the songs could have used maybe a bridge or an extra verse or another chorus at the end. But the album as a whole to me feels like the perfect length. I don't think it's too short. I also wanted to say my thoughts on who the songs are about because there's been a lot of theories going around about who the songs could possibly be about. We do know that the two relationships that she was in between her last album, Head Above Water, and then the creation of this one before she started dating Matson, she was with Philip Seraphim and Pete Jonas of the band Jaguar Twin. So a lot of people naturally think that the songs are about those two people. I kind of don't know about that. I think that, yes, I see why the song like Deja Vu, for example, very clearly points to Philip because he's like a rich guy and the lyrics talk about that. But then like, I'm pretty sure around the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021, something like that, Avril was seen riding motorbikes with him. She's always been on pretty good terms with most of her exes, so it would seem really weird to me that she would be on good terms with him, but then she would write a song like this about him. Pete Jonas, I could see like a lot of those songs being more about him just because they don't seem like they're really on good terms anymore. I don't know if I really think that the songs are necessarily detail for detail about these two relationships. I think that Avril might have taken a lot of creative liberty and might have used them for inspiration. And then she kind of exaggerated them just to make them more interesting and more relatable or more creative, more clever. I don't think that just because something is about a real person or a real relationship that happened that necessarily everything that's written in the song is like 100% what actually happened. And I have seen some people sending like hate to these guys over these songs. And I just think that's kind of like immature. Like we don't know what really happened between them and the relationship. And there's always two sides to every story. And we're only hearing Avril's side. And I just think it's like not really our business to know like who the songs are about or what happened exactly between them. It's her art and she's going to, you know, use her real life experiences and use that to make her art but you know I think it kind of ends there like I think the point is to kind of apply it to your own life your own relationships your own experiences and I will say kind of piggybacking off of that idea I think that what's really neat about this album is that yes it's called love sucks and yes it's an album about breakups and love and relationships but you can really apply it to a lot of different situations it doesn't just have to be about toxic romantic relationships it can even be about toxic friends coworkers, like basically any kind of toxic situation that no longer serves you and that you want to just get away from. And I think that that's what's really cool about this album is that you can apply it to so many different types of situations. Like even though Avril wrote it about a very specific topic, about very specific situations that happened to her, you can apply it to really almost anything in your own life and that it can be this universal thing. Another thing I wanted to talk about is how I think it compares to the album The Best Damn Thing, which I kind of touched on this a little bit before earlier. A lot of people have compared this to The Best Damn Thing because they're both pop punk albums and like Travis Barker was even involved with both of them. But I do think that these albums are different enough that I wouldn't necessarily say that Love Sucks is like a The Best Damn Thing 2.0. To me, they're both different albums that can stand on their own as equal bodies of work. I think that they both have differences for sure, like in the way that they're produced. Like The Best Damn Thing is kind of more cheerleader, pop punk inspired, and Love Sucks is more traditional pop punk, more like Blink-182, Green Day kind of stuff. Like I had mentioned earlier, The Best Damn Thing had more ballads on it. There was a little more variety, more differences in the production because of the different producers involved. And Love Sucks has pretty much the same producers throughout, more consistent sound. So yeah, I mean, to me, they're not really the same album at all. And I think a lot of people would say that. Like, yes, there's some similarities between them that they're both like fast, aggressive, upbeat pop punk albums, like very lighthearted, both talk about like breakups and relationships and stuff. But I do think that they have enough differences between them that they're separate bodies of work. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is my thoughts on the Love Sucks theme, because I think 
on the surface, a lot of people look at it and they think that it's basically just an album about breakups with a couple of love songs thrown in there. But I was kind of thinking about it when I was listening to songs like Dare to Love Me, for example. And I was thinking about how, I mean, this could be completely not what Avril meant, but this is just my own interpretation. Love sucks doesn't just have to mean that like love sucks, like in terms of breakups, but love can also suck in other ways. Like it kind of makes me think of the lyric from What the Hell when she says love hurts whether it's right or wrong, because love is a very complex thing a very intense human emotion that we all go through in some form or other like even if you've never been in a romantic relationship you've experienced love hopefully with like friends or family and even pets or you know grandparents things like that and even if you are in a romantic relationship and even if you're in like a good healthy relationship love can still hurt Because sometimes when you like really love a person and you care about them a lot and they can hurt you in certain ways or it takes a lot of work, even if you're like both in a good place, relationships still take work. And like I said before, you're going to have these ups and downs and things that can get in the way and obstacles that kind of come between you and you kind of have to overcome them together. And that's what makes you stronger. But it's a thing that you have to overcome and that can make love suck. And like I said, even when you're in a good place with a person and you have a healthy relationship, sometimes it's like the love can be so intense. You can care about a person so intensely that it can hurt you. So I think that that's just kind of a little food for thought about the theme of love sucks. That It doesn't just have to be about breakups and how like, oh, boys suck, love sucks, that love can suck even when you're in a good place. I also wanted to share my thoughts on the deluxe album that we should be getting at some point. She has confirmed that we are getting a deluxe album and she's even written and recorded some new songs for it. We don't know yet when it's coming out or how many songs are going to be on it or anything like that. We just know that she said there's going to be a deluxe album and that she's even written and recorded some new songs for it. We don't know if there's going to be some songs on it that didn't make the cut or if she might be saving those for the next album or the Skater Boy movie soundtrack. I had mentioned in the last episode that there was a chalkboard that had a bunch of song titles on it when they were working together. And there was a song title on that board called California, which was featuring Modson. And recently Modson teased that song possibly being on the deluxe edition. So we'll have to see if we get that. And if it's going to be anything like his deluxe album of Internet Killed the Rockstar, there might be some acoustic or piano versions of some of the songs. Like we already have an acoustic version of Bite Me. That's also a bonus track on the Japanese edition. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get that. Possibly we could get an acoustic version of Love It When You Hate Me, maybe an acoustic version of Love Sucks, and then maybe some more stripped down versions of like Avalanche, because that's already kind of like a ballad, and maybe Break of a Heartache. Like I said, she had kind of said that that was more of a country song to begin with, and so it would be really interesting if she like reworked that to be more like its original form. I think I'm just really excited that we're going to have a deluxe album because the last few albums, we either haven't really had a deluxe album at all, or it hasn't been like a proper deluxe album where it was maybe just like acoustic versions of a few songs and that was it. So I'm really excited if we're going to actually get like new songs. And if it's like I said, if it's anything like Modson's deluxe album that came a few months after the original, so it's possible that we won't be getting it for until maybe the summer. So we'll kind of just have to see how that goes. I also wanted to discuss how I had gotten the physical copy of the album. So like I think I had mentioned a few episodes ago that I actually was able to get one of the autographed copies. So for now, it's just come with an autographed artwork card. But I think they emailed me and said I should be getting like an autographed booklet at some point. But for now, I have the autographed artwork card. And that's a really, really cool thing to have. And I was like really happy to get that. I want to just point out a few things that I noticed while looking through the album booklet. 
Number one, her thank you was like a one line thing when in the past her thank yous have been like several paragraphs. So I don't know if they just didn't have enough room in the booklet maybe for her to do like an entire big long thank you thing. I also noticed that her brother Matt and sister-in-law Amy are part of her management right now, which is unusual. That's never been something that she's done before. And I also noticed that she wasn't involved at all in the art direction, which is also unusual because I think I know for sure on Let Go she was and I think on The Best Damn Thing and possibly a couple other albums as well that she was involved in the art direction. So it's really unusual that she wasn't really that involved with a lot of that other stuff besides the music this time around. Something else that I also wanted to point out is that the clean version of the album, which is available, I think, only on streaming right now. I'm not even sure if you can buy a physical copy of it. The clean version that's available on streaming, it seems like they didn't put a lot of effort into like making actual clean versions of the songs. Like, for example, on like The Best Damn Thing or the self-titled album, I think they tried to like make alternate lyrics for the clean versions. Whereas on this album, except for Bite Me, I think all the other clean versions, anytime there was a swear word, they just like blocked it out of the recording. So there seems like there wasn't a lot of effort put into making like real clean versions, which was a little disappointing. I mean, I listened to the explicit version of the album, so it doesn't really matter. But I would have liked to see more effort put into making like real clean versions and like actually coming up with alternate lyrics, which doesn't seem like they did here. But maybe they just wanted to get the album done quicker and they just didn't bother to do that. I don't know. Something else I wanted to point out is that there is a little bit of a debate going on about what the real color of the album cover is. So when the album first came out, most people were like, oh, that's clearly red. And then there was an interview that Avril did recently with Zane Lowe from Apple Music, where she was like, she pointedly asked him a question. She was like, hey, this album cover is orange, right? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I don't know what people are talking about, how it's like red. And it's like, but it clearly is red. Like, I, I guess when you look at the album cover, to me, I think it could be a little bit of both. I think it's the lighting and maybe the editing. It depends, like, which way you look at it. Like, in certain parts of the room that she's in, with the way the lighting is hitting it, it does look orange. But then there's, like, the other part where the album title is that looks very clearly red. So she insists that the album cover is orange and that the colors are orange and black. But I think most of the fandom is seeing red. So I just thought that was like a really funny thing to point out that there's like, it's kind of like that dress thing where some people were seeing it as like white and gold and other people were seeing it as blue. Another question that I had that I wish someone would ask her in an interview is what the black balloons symbolize, if anything. Some people do have theories that besides the theory that the balloons look like a couple kissing, some people think that the balloons could represent these dark feelings that she's holding on to like resentment from the breakups and the relationships and that she's like holding on to them and that she's going to let them go or some people think that the balloons maybe represent like hope like her hope of still finding love one day and she's like really holding on to them i'm really surprised that that's not something that she's talked about or that she's been asked in an interview yet i really hope that eventually someone asks her what the black balloons symbolize or why she decided to include them the next thing I want to talk about is the tour that's coming up later this year. So she's going to be going on tour in Canada in May, and it's called the Bite Me Tour. Then she's going to be going on tour in the summer in the U.S. And then later in the year, she's going to be going to Asia. And then next year, she's going to be doing the European dates that were scheduled from like way back in 2020. So she's kind of talked a little bit about what to expect from the tour. She's been in rehearsals already. Ashton Michael is going to be designing the costumes. And she said that she's going to bring back the black balloons to kind of incorporate on the stage. So I kind of just wanted to talk about what I'm sort of expecting from the tour or like which songs I think would or should be included on the set list. So she kind of already talked about how she's going to play a mixture of old and new songs, which she always does. And 
that she's probably going to play maybe half of the album live and then the rest would be singles. I think for sure she's going to perform Boys Lie, Bite Me, and Love It When You Hate Me because those are the singles. And then she talked about performing the title track. Like she was most excited to perform the title track and Kiss Me Like the World is Ending. That seems like that's probably going to be it. Like I said before, I think Cannonball would be really fun to like open the show with. Or if not, maybe like how in the past she's done some like video intros, like the Avril Lavigne tour, there was like a video montage set to a rock track. And then the Head Above Water tour opened with like a montage of clips from the music video and they were playing the instrumental of Head Above Water and then she came out to the stage. If they did kind of something like that, where it's like a visual, like this montage of all these clips of Avril just kind of going crazy and playing guitar and rocking out and stuff. And then she comes out to the stage. I think that would be so fun and like really build up a lot of hype. But she hasn't really talked about the possibility of performing that one. So it's kind of questionable if it'll be included. A lot of people really want her to perform Avalanche. She hasn't really talked about that one a lot. But I think if she sees enough people want it, she might bring it out at least for a couple of shows. But I kind of hope that she does perform that one because I think it would be a really impactful moment. Deja Vu and FU are ones I could kind of see getting rotated every few shows. Like I don't know if they'd be a permanent part of the set list, but I could see her kind of bringing them out, but not necessarily making them like permanent. I think the Mark Hoppus collaboration, I think it's safe to say that that one's probably going to be axed from the set list just because she can't really perform a solo version of it like she can with Love It When You Hate Me. And I'm like, unless she can pull Mark Hoppus in as like a surprise guest for a show, it's kind of hard to like recreate his part or like it'd be kind of awkward just to have like a video of him singing his part. So I kind of think this one's not going to get performed. And then Dare to Love Me is the only ballad. Usually when she performs ballads at her shows, it's like the really big power ballad like single songs like I'm with you and when you're gone I don't see this one getting performed because she didn't even want it on the album to begin with and it's not like a big single ballad so I kind of don't see this one getting performed which is kind of a shame because I think it would be a really like standout moment just like it is on the album where it's like this really vulnerable like stripped back moment I think it would be really powerful if she actually did perform it but unfortunately I don't really see it happening and then break of a heartache This one is so short that like there's really no excuse for her not to be able to fit it into the set list. But at the same time, it's so like fast paced. I kind of don't know if I see her performing this one. This might be one that might get rotated in like here and there, but probably not a permanent part of the set list if it's even performed at all. I wanted to say before too that there were a couple of things that I thought would be really fun moments, like crowd moments, if she were to perform these live. I mentioned before with Love Sucks, the bridge part. I can just imagine the crowd having a really fun time singing that one. And then also with Break of a Heartache, the part where she's like, oh, whoa, oh, whoa, like that part, I think the crowd would have a really fun time singing. Like to me, that just sounds like it was made to sing live. And she did say that she went into making this record with the intention of singing live and like revolving it around her live shows. So it would only make sense that she was going to perform most of these. So I'm really surprised that she said she's only planning on performing maybe half of the songs. I just think this record is absolutely meant to be played live. And even though it is important for her to play her hits and her singles, I think fans also want to hear new songs. So hopefully maybe if enough people tell her what we want to hear, that we'll get a lot more songs from the album played. Then the last thing that I want to address is kind of where I see the next albums going, particularly the eighth album, because she has talked about it already. She said that she might end up doing the same thing for the next album, like working with the same collaborators, doing the same type of music, possibly using a lot of the songs that didn't make this album on the next album. I don't know if I'm super on board with it, to be honest, because to me, it feels very much like a, like just to find something to compare it to, like a folklore evermore situation like Taylor Swift did. If you've heard both of those albums, you kind of know what I'm talking about, where to make a sister album of something, it's very difficult, in my opinion. 
And this is coming from a person who, like, I'm a very musical person. Like, I play instruments. I write songs. I've taken music classes in school. Like, I kind of know some things about music. And so I think just from my perspective of someone who knows things about music, to make a sister album of something is really difficult because there has to be things about it that are like a common thread between that and its original album. But then it also has to be different enough that it can stand on its own as a separate but equally good, if not better, body of work. And that's really, really hard to do. And I think Taylor managed to do that because she's Taylor Swift. She's an exceptional songwriter. But I don't know if I can see Avril pulling that off. I think the reason why it worked with like Folklore and Evermore is because Evermore was a little bit more adventurous. Like you could tell that those songs belonged in the same universe as Folklore, but they kind of experimented a little bit more. I think if Avril was to do that with the eighth album and make it like a sister album to Love Sucks, they have to be a little bit more experimental. I don't just want a Love Sucks part two. I know a lot of people are like, oh, this album's great. I would love another album just like this. But honestly, I think I would be bored. Like, I don't really need to hear another album exactly like this one. The reason why this record is so special is because it's different and because it's like fresh and new. But if she was going to make another album just like it, it would probably pale in comparison it probably wouldn't receive exactly the same fanfare that Love Sucks did. And I think if she is going to continue like in the same direction with the same collaborators or the same style of music, that they should also find another theme to talk about. Like just doing another breakup album when she's already in a happy relationship kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe she could do like a reverse album where it's a lot of like love songs, like more songs like Kiss Me Like the World is Ending and Dare to Love Me. Some people have suggested maybe just doing an album entirely about something else, like nothing about love or relationships, but maybe like just kind of like living life or what it feels like to be back after the pandemic. More songs about mental health, something like that. I mean, whatever she ends up doing, I just don't want like a repeat of Love Sucks, if I'm being perfectly honest. A lot of people have suggested that it would be wise of her to do another album like this just because pop punk is like very on trend right now and that it would be good to like take advantage of that while it's while people are interested in it while it's having its moment but then after that you know she could definitely potentially explore other genres like maybe country she's talked about doing or like a christmas album jazz or soul music we've seen little bits of her doing other genres over the years and I always thought that country and surprisingly jazz really suited her voice like even more so than rock I don't think honestly rock music ever really was like made for her voice if I'm being honest I think that the softer music like country and jazz really just suited her voice really well so I would honestly really love to see her explore other genres at some point and I don't know how long she can just like keep doing the same type of album over and over again until people get bored of it Variety has always been part of her catalog, and so I would like to see her continue doing that. But as far as like the next album, like the eighth album, I think if she's going to do like the sister album kind of thing, that maybe by like next year she should have the album out. Otherwise, I think she'll have kind of missed the boat on the pop punk thing. And like I said, I would personally welcome her kind of exploring other topics or maybe like being a little more experimental in the genre, not just like doing a repeat of Love Sucks. So that concludes our discussion on Avril's new album, Love Sucks. If you haven't yet heard the album for yourself, you can purchase or stream it anywhere music is available. I can't wait to see what more is in store for us this year as Avril begins the Love Sucks tour as well as celebrations for the 20th anniversary of Let Go. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can be the first to know when a new episode drops. We're currently streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and Audible. Join me again next time on the Best Damn Avril Lavigne Podcast. 
The Best Damn Avril Lavigne Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by Andrea DeFrancesco. Theme music is HD and Lights by J. Powell Flicks. Follow the latest podcast news on Instagram at Best Damn Avril Pod or email Best Damn Avril Pod at yahoo.com.